It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and like a huckaboom and a hill of bust, we'll discuss the candidates and today's Republican debate with Ralph Reed. And like it or not, Mormonism is an issue for Mitt Romney. We'll learn what Mormons believe, and we'll find out what damage Darwinism has done to politics and the culture. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev... Tear down this wall. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Quoting from the article, Don't Mormons, he asked in an innocent voice, believe that Jesus and the devil are brothers? So two questions, Governor. First, would you like to comment on the question? And second, do you think it was an innocent question? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, um, of course, the church has already come out and clarified that and uh, set the record straight on that. Uh, and that's been something that's been uh, leveled at our church over many, many years. And, and of course, that's been uh, set straight now. All right. That is candidate for U.S. President Mitt Romney. And if you recognize the other voice, Matt Lauer from NBC's Today Show this morning, Matt Lauer Asking Mitt Romney, do Mormons believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers? And Romney laughs and says, the church has set the record straight. Well, what is the record? What is the record that they've set straight? Coming up in segment two, we're going to talk with an expert on Mormonism to find out what indeed they believe about this question. And if you've been listening to this program for several months, we have said this question will be asked in the public. It has not been asked yet. Now it has been asked, and I believe it will be answered as people begin to look into official Mormon church doctrine. But um, Mitt Romney... Pinna has uh, begun to go kind of negative against Huckabee, mm-hmm. and I predicted that last week after the big A&M speech. I said, now that he's got this settled, he's going to have to go after Huckabee because Huckabee is surging. And uh, the Huckabee surge is quite a phenomenon. I think it just overtook Governor Rick Perry. I want you to listen carefully to Rick Perry defending his endorsement of Rudy Giuliani and there's a kind of Freudian slip here. If that is the model, then the issue uh, becomes very, very clear to me uh, from the standpoint of who I want to support, and it is Mike Huckabee. 
All right, that's Governor Perry, and he said, I'm supporting Mike Huckabee. Well, it was a mistake. The reporters had to correct him, but it's just sort of a sign of things going Huckabee's way. And the last week, the last two weeks, he seems to have all this momentum with him. The governor misspeaking there and saying, uh, I support Mike Huckabee. In fact, He's supporting Perry. In just a minute, we're going to have analysis of the debate today on the Republican side in Iowa, and we'll be talking in just a moment with Ralph Reed about it all. You know, it's very interesting, Dr. Johnson. Uh, Mike Huckabee's question about Mormonism, wondering whether Mormons believe that Jesus is the brother of Satan. That is really (laughs) getting a lot of play, as you said. So the question is, what do Mormons believe? We are going to ask Southern Baptist apologetics expert Michael Lycona later in the program also For decades, Christians have battled the teaching of evolution in the schools because they worried about how the idea that you've evolved from an amoeba or something would affect the next generation. John West of the Discovery Institute has written a book about this. The news is not pretty, and we're going to have him on later in the program. Okay, Newsweek uh, analyst Howard Feynman came out with an article today, Huckaboom and Hillabust. With us to talk about it, Ralph Reed, founder and president of Century Strategies, chairman, former chairman of the Republican Party in Georgia, also former executive director of the Christian Coalition. He really built one of the nation's most effective grassroots organization, uh, organizations standing up for pro-life and Christian and conservative principles. Uh, Welcome back to the program, Ralph. Thanks, Jerry. Good to be with you. All right, Ralph, two phenomenon uh, that Foundman writes about today, Huckaboom and Hillabus. Take whichever one you want to talk about first, but tell us what's happening. Well, I think, uh, you know, we've known those of us who have, uh, you know, sort of toiled in the vineyards, uh, if you will, uh, in the pro-family movement over the last 20 or 30 years, uh, that there was a palpable hunger out there at the grassroots for a candidate uh, who didn't flinch or get the hunted look in their eyes when they got asked about the moral issues uh, that burn in the hearts of so many millions of Americans. Uh, there's been a vacuum, uh, and I think uh, there were a lot of people who tried to fill that vacuum. I think most notably, uh, you know, sort of the Thompson boomlet uh, earlier this year, yes. particularly over the summer. I think now that he's gotten in, uh, and I don't mean this, by the way, as any shot at Fred Thompson, sure. who I have a very good relationship with, uh, he, but when he went on Meet the Press and said he didn't uh, favor the pro-life plank in the party, uh, didn't support a human life amendment, uh, and so forth, I think at that point it was very difficult for him, not impossible, but difficult, to catch fire. Yes. I think as we've gotten here on the threshold of the decision, I think Huckabee uh, and for those of us who know Mike, this is not terribly surprising, has filled that vacuum. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, uh, but he has clearly reshuffled this race. Uh, if the Iowa caucuses were held today, he would probably, uh, uh, he would probably win them. Uh, they aren't held today. Uh, you've still got uh, however many days it is yes. left, 15, 20 days to go, and it will be very competitive, very hard fought. I think New Hampshire is going to be uh, tougher for Mike, uh, having worked that state over seven or eight presidential elections. It's not as hospitable to a Southern social conservative Mm. candidate. Uh, But then you move on, of course, to Michigan, Nevada, and then South Carolina on, I believe it's January 19th, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think we're now in effectively uh, a three- to four-way race, uh, Romney, Giuliani, Huckabee, and then 
Maybe Thompson. We'll and Thompson, Thompson really needs to win in the Carolinas uh, to have any chance, doesn't he? I think that's right. It's, it's really kind of interesting, the, the compression of the primary calendar and the acceleration of this process where, you know, in 2000, when George W. Bush was running, and I was working on that campaign, we had seven primaries or caucuses in the first 30 days. This year, we're going to have 28 in the first 30 days. Wow. And interestingly enough, what you're seeing, I think some by happenstance, some deliberately, is the candidates are cherry-picking. Mm. So, you know, Huckabee looks real strong in Iowa. Romney continues to look strong in New Hampshire. Yes. Uh, I think Thompson, Romney, Giuliani, and Huckabee all look strong in South Carolina. Today, Giuliani looks stronger in Florida. Here's the irony. Going into February 5th, which is the super mega super Tuesday, you could literally have four different winners in the first four or five caucuses <laughs> or primaries. Now, can I, can I address the Hillary bus for just a minute? Well, we want to ask you about that, Ralph, and I just want to mention that Ralph Reed is with us. He's president of Century Strategies. Of course, uh, he led and grew the Christian Coalition to a major force, and Ralph, uh, this is Dexter. I do want to ask you about Hillary and the Hilla bus because we've got the rise of Obama and this whole Oprah factor now, but also the Bill factor. I mean, what about him? Does he help her or does he hurt her? There's no question he helps her. In fact, there's a recent poll. Um, I, I can't remember if it was Gallup or Rasmussen or somebody else, but there's a poll out this week that shows that 44% of Democrats say they are more likely to vote for Hillary Clinton because they know that Bill's in the picture. So here's the irony that, that Hillary Clinton has had all along. The irony is that the very thing that turns off independents and conservatives is what attracts Democrats, which is that whole, you know, two-for-the-price-of-one equation that we saw in, in 1992 when it was Bill on the ballot. You know, there were feminists and women who liked the idea that a, that a strong, politically savvy woman, namely then Hillary, was going to be involved in policy, and now we're seeing the same thing with Bill. Now, once you get to a general election, of course, that doesn't work. Uh, but, but look, uh, this is a highly competitive Democratic primary. Uh, Obama, I must say, has surprised me. He came out of the chute strong earlier in the year, and then really faded and looked like he was having some tough times, you know, saying he wouldn't wear the American flag pin on his lapel because <laughs> right. it was a political statement, saying he would meet with Hugo Chavez and Castro and Ahmadinejad in his first year in office. But, you know, when it counted, uh, he's really come on strong, and he's now uh, leading in Iowa and within a point of Hillary as of a poll today in New Hampshire. He's either going to beat her or, I think, more likely uh, is going to make her a better candidate by forcing her to really fight for this nomination. Ralph, uh, I want you to listen to Mitt Romney talk about the conservative coalition that has really given us some uh, conservative victories, particularly in the Republican Party. I want your reaction to this analysis. And I'm going to build on the same foundation Ronald Reagan built. We're not going to get the White House nor strengthen America unless we can pull together the coalition of conservatives and conservative thought that has made us successful as a party. And that's social conservatives. It's also economic conservatives and foreign policy and defense conservatives. 
uh, Ralph, uh, social conservatives, conservative Christians, that is, and others, uh, economic conservatives, foreign policy conservatives. Could you just talk about how important uh, this coalition strategy is to electing uh, good public officials? It's very critical, and I think what people of faith who, who I think, have just added uh, so much to our political process as they've poured into the uh, into the precincts and into the political parties and, and into the legislative halls uh, all across the country, I uh, have to remember is that a political party or a governing coalition is not a church. Uh, you don't promulgate doctrine and enforce it. Uh, what you do is you agree that an 80% friend is not a 20% enemy. Mm. So there are a lot of people who helped elect George W. Bush in 00 and then re-elect him in 04 and helped elect and re-elect Ronald Reagan who don't see eye-to-eye with me on, for example, the abortion issue. But I don't run those people out of my party because they disagree with me. I agree to disagree, and we work together in coalition because you have to get 50% plus one on Election Day. So that's why I believe that the, the total agenda, a strategy of going on offense, not defense, against the terrorists, and winning the war on terrorism, strengthening the family, honoring marriage and protecting innocent human life, and, and honoring and celebrating time-honored values, and then on the fiscal side, growing the economy through lower taxes and unleashing the entrepreneurial America energy of the American people. I think that's the agenda as we move into the 21st century. And we have to show respect for people who may not agree with us on everything on our agenda, and uh, we may not agree with everything on theirs, but we have to work together on those issues to succeed. Ralph, what you've uh, just done, what you really always do, something you've always done, is encourage our listeners to be involved, and we appreciate that, and thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you all for having me very much. Coming up next, we will be talking about Mitt Romney and Matt Lauer. And Mitt Romney has gone quasi-negative here on Mike Huckabee. I want you to hear this Mitt Romney commercial. I'm Mitt Romney, and I approve this message. Two former governors, two good family men, both pro-life, both support a constitutional amendment protecting traditional marriage. The difference? Mitt Romney stood up and vetoed in-state tuition for illegal aliens, opposed driver's licenses for illegals. Mike Huckabee supported in-state tuition benefits for illegal immigrants. Huckabee even supported taxpayer-funded scholarships for illegal aliens. On immigration, the choice matters. Okay, so that's Mitt Romney running a, a negative, or he calls it a comparison ad, between him and Huckabee. And uh, coming up next, we're going to see where probably Huckabee uh, leaked out a negative and said, hey, uh, don't the Mormons believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers? And it's quite a controversy stirring. When we come back, an expert on Mormonism will answer that question. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. 
Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Quoting from the article, Don't Mormons, he asked in an innocent voice, believe that Jesus and the devil are brothers? So two questions, Governor. First, would you like to comment on the question? And second, do you think it was an innocent question? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, um, of course, the church has already come out and clarified that and uh, set the record straight on that. Uh, and that's been something that's been uh, leveled at our church over many, many years. And, and of course, that's been uh, set straight now. All right, that's Matt Lauer on NBC's Today Show questioning presidential candidate Mitt Romney about Mormonism. And he was actually referring to Mike Huckabee because this race pen is getting very hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Huckabee surging and uh, pulling ahead of Mitt Romney, the Mormon, in Iowa, in New Hampshire. And um, one of the things that happened, Huckabee doing this interview with the New York Times Sunday Magazine, he just slipped in this question, Huckabee did, as an aside, uh, don't Mormons believe that Jesus and the devil are brothers? And uh, I happen to believe that Huckabee did this on purpose. I think it was inevitable. We have been talking on this show about the fact that no one has really been talking about the substantive issues with Mormonism. Huckabee has since then apologized, but now the issue is out. And I think that's what Huckabee wanted to do is to say, look, there's some strange beliefs here. You ought to look into this. It's a distraction. It's not really about presidential policy or foreign re- uh, foreign affairs or immigration, but it's it's just very interesting to know what this man believes. But the real question now on this show is this. Um, Romney says the church, that is, the Mormons, have set the record straight on that question. And that's really what we talk about. What we want to talk about is what do Mormons believe uh, and is it true? Not so much now about who should be president or whether a Mormon can be president, but what do Mormons believe about this, and is it true? You know, earlier on, Mike Huckabee has said he's probably answered more questions about his faith than Mitt Romney has, and I think it is only fair that some of these doctrines of Mormonism come out. And so with us to discuss this uh, is Michael Lycona. He is Director of Apologetics and Interfaith Evangelism at the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he's written a series of articles for Baptist Press about Mormonism. Michael, thank you for joining us. Well, it's great to be back with you guys again. Thank you. We've got to ask you the question that's kind of on the minds of many Americans. Uh, For many people, this is the first time they've heard about this idea that uh, under Mormonism, that Jesus uh, is said to be by some the brother of Satan. Is that or is that not a tenet of Mormonism? It is. Uh, They believe that Jesus and Satan are spirit brothers, just as they believe that we all are spirit brothers with Jesus and Satan. 
So obviously there's a relationship there that's different than there is between, say, us and Jesus, because they at present view Jesus as a higher being. But um, that is true, that uh, Mormons do re- uh, regard Jesus and Satan as being spirit brothers. So when Mitt Romney says that the uh, Church of the Latter-day Saints, or whatever he wants it to be called now, uh, is, um, has taken care of that issue, has sort of debunked that issue, is he lying? Oh, I don't... Uh, did, they say, did he say they... Well, he didn't say debunked. Did he did not. He said it. they've answered it. He said they've set the record straight mm-hmm. and they've answered it. In fact, I want to read to you the answer from uh, Kim Farah, speaking for the Church of Jesus Christ, that is the Mormons. She said, um, we believe as other Christians believe, and as Paul wrote, that God is the Father of all. Now, that's the definitive response today from their PR office, and that, that God is the Father of all. And I would like to ask you uh, this question, Mike. Do you see a distinction between that answer, God is the Father of all, and God being the Creator? Well, that's a great question. I guess that's something uh, they would need to clarify again. I wish you'd been there and asked that (laughs) question. Uh, Because, yeah, they're being a little ambiguous there. I I think we all recognize that. And and for, for good reason, I think. Once these the different types of things in which Mormons believe come out, uh, such as even the, the nature of God. They believe that God was uh, a human, a, a man, just like we are, and that he evolved to become who he is now, and that Mormon males, sorry, no females, but mm. Mormon males can progress to become just like God, too. So um, there are some, some different and kind of strange beliefs within the Mormon faith, but you know what, um, Dr. Johnson, there's something that you said I, in the introduction I think is, uh, is really important, and I think um, I, I'm glad you mentioned it, because um, if, if one thing that Christians tend to do is uh, they will say, well, uh, the Mo- Book of Mormon contradicts the Bible. Well, it, it contradicts it in terms of providing a historical account of some inhabitants here in North America after the ascension of Jesus, but... Doctrinally speaking, most of the really kind of strange doctrines, Mormon doctrines, aren't found in the Book of Mormon. They're found in other Mormon Where? What other, what other documents? Well, like uh, Doctrines and Covenants Yes, uh, is where you'll find some of those things. So we is the Book of Mormon mostly true, then? What's that? Is the Book of Mormon mostly true? Oh, no. I, w- I would say it's, com- it's all. It's completely and utterly false. And this is where I think our, our strong point is here. When we go to the New Testament, when we, especially the New Testament, but also in some cases in the Old Testament, though not nearly as much, we can apply historiographical uh, criteria and, and, um, and method and, and be able to judge a number of the things within the Bible as being uh, historically reliable, as being true. We can't do that with the Book of Mormon. Um, that you just throw out historiography when it comes to the Book of Mormon. It doesn't help. Why? because there's not a shred of evidence to show that the Book of Mormon or any of the events described in the Book of Mormon um, are, are true. And my fear when we, we talk about the doctrinal things, and this is something that every Christian and even the non-believers want to know about, it is interesting, but put yourself in the place of a non-believer for a moment, okay? And you say, okay, well, what, what, what does this, this look like? When, okay, Christians are saying Mormons aren't Christian, and, Christ, and Mormons are saying, yes, we are. Well, what's the differences? Well, we've got this different kind of belief on what the Godhead is. Um, 
uh, both kind of believe in the Godhead, but not in the same sense. Um, both believe Jesus is the Son of God, but not in the same sense. Uh, both believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, but not quite in the same sense, and heaven's a little different, and because uh, there's three kinds of kingdoms, and God's a little bit different. And I think a non-believer could sit back and say, wow, these guys are just splitting hairs here. Mm. Um, but if we focus on the, the question, is Mormonism true? Is, where does the evidence point? And we can show that it's an utterly ridiculous faith in terms of its historical credibility. That's where I think the knockout punches. Let me uh, ask you this question, because we have a local radio man here called Mark Davis who wrote a very interesting op-ed a few days ago in the newspaper. It really was in response to the uh, Aggie speech, uh, Texas A&M speech that Romney gave. And it's not so much that this man doesn't have the right to believe this or that others would discriminate against him on that basis, but here's the direct quote. If he'll believe this, what else will he believe? And uh, it's, a, it's a gullibility kind of a question. He says he's a true blue Mormon. He says he's not a cafeteria Mormon. And so, uh, yes, you've got this rejection of the Trinity, uh, Jesus, the brother of Satan, and we can become gods and so forth. But you've also got these weird things like baptisms for the dead, which Romney says he has done before, uh, the holy underwear, and other strange, odd features. Um, do, do you see this... Um, this gullibility uh, factor, um, you know, gaining traction as people think about leaders who would actually believe that Joseph Smith was a true prophet, for instance. Back to your true-false question. I mean, if you look at the historical record, this man was a crackpot, wasn't he? Sort of a false prophet. You're right. Uh, Smith was. Uh, he was either very deluded or he was a deceiver. I can't see of, of any other option there, uh, given what we know from, about uh, from uh, archaeology or the lack of it uh, uh, for the, related to the Book of Mormon and um, archaeological specific archaeological confirmation of the Book of Mormon. That is, and also the absolutely devastating problem uh, posed by the Book of Abraham. Um, so, I, th- what does that? Can say you explain that a little more? Just the Book of Abraham. Would you say that again? Can you explain what uh, that the Book of Abraham oh, and that sure. problem? Um, after Smith had translated these alleged gold tablets, plates, into what is present-day Book of Mormon, uh, a few years later he uh, came across at an exhibition of some mummies. He saw some ancient papyri, and he looked at it and he says, this is an Egyptian, uh, virtually the same language as we have for the Book of Mormon, and I know how to translate. And he started looking at it, and he said, wow, the Abraham wrote this. Look, he even signed it. And this is about some travels, uh, the trip he had. I think it was in Genesis 12. It was like Midrash that kind of built upon it. And um, said, so he purchased them. He raised some money from his mom. He purchased the mummies and, and the manuscripts, and uh, he proceeded to translate them uh, into what's called the Book of Abraham, which is part of another Mormon scripture called the Pearl of Great Price. So the, the Mormons have the Pearl of Great Price, the Book of Mormon, and the Bible as their scriptures. The Book of Abraham is part, it's a, it's, it's a document, a text within the Pearl of Great Price, like, let's say, Revelation would be in the New Testament. So now with the Book of Abraham, what's really interesting, there was really no one around at that point to, to test Smith's translation. Uh, against the document. 
But in 1967, the Mormon Church turned the original documents over to three uh, very prominent, highly esteemed Egyptologists here in the U.S., two at the University of Chicago, one at Brown University. And all three had a unanimous conclusion, and that is Smith didn't have a clue what he was doing when he translated this. Hmm. Mike, we've got to go, but I think that is the final word. Uh, This is a bogus religion. Joseph Smith uh, was a phony. And uh, it's hard to believe that Mitt Romney could take this all very seriously. Mike Lycona, uh, thank you so much for being with us. He's with the North American Mission Board. We hope to have you back again. Wonderful being with you again. Thanks. All right. So Romney challenged on Mormonism. But wait a minute. Huckabee challenged on creation. Six-day creation versus evolution when we come back. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. My goal is to get in my goal is to get in the Mitt Romney situation where I don't have to worry about taxes anymore. Uh, but five uh, percent uh, to get into your situation. Five <laughs> percent. Well, you, you know, you're getting to be a pretty good actor, actually. <laughs> Okay, that's the Republicans debating today in Iowa, and that is uh, Fred Thompson saying about the alternative minimum minimum tax, I believe, that uh, he'd like to get in Romney's situation where taxes aren't an issue. Romney is a very wealthy man. He has pumped millions and millions of dollars into Iowa, into New Hampshire. He was running uh, way ahead of the pack in those two primary states, but now Huckabee has surged. He is ahead of Romney in Iowa. He is... Uh, close, if not ahead, of Romney in uh, New Hampshire. And um, Thompson uh, there uh, jabbing Romney as well and saying, look, you're, you're an actor. And, of course, Romney is very slick. He looks the part of president, and he's very articulate. But uh, Huckabee is um, uh, coming across really well in these uh, debates, and certainly old Mo is with Huckabee today. And um, But, you know, Romney is being challenged for Mormonism. It's a subtle campaign. But Huckabee is beginning to be attacked now, Penny. He's the front mm-hmm. runner, more or less. He's beginning to be attacked for conservative evangelical viewpoints on women in ministry, on homosexuals and AIDS, you know, what he said 15 years ago, and for his belief in creation, not in evolution. And so they're going back to that debate in May where the candidates were asked, do you believe in evolution? And several of them said, we do not believe in evolution. Huckabee, one of those people, and he has asked that again and again and again now in any interview, do you believe in evolution? So we need to talk about why this issue is so important to reporters and why it really is, I think, an important issue for the country. Evolution makes a difference. Well, it's a very important issue. And of course, we've talked about the teaching of evolution for decades. And we Christians have worried uh, about evolution being taught to our children. And now we've got some evidence about what this reigning scientific ideology about our origins has done to the culture and also to our political institutions. Uh, Really, the question that we're going to ask our guest today is, has Darwinism dehumanized us? Uh, John West is with the Discovery Institute. He's senior fellow there. He's also the associate director of the Institute's Center for Science and Culture. And he's written a new book called Darwin Day in America, How Our Politics and Culture 
have been dehumanized in the name of science. John, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. Is this a good thing that evolution is actually being discussed on the campaign trail? Well, in in some respects, it's a good thing because it's an issue that many Americans are discussing in their homes and in their schools and have been interested in it for a long time. so I, I think they should. How it's being discussed, I think, is probably unfortunate. And uh, I don't think they really give a fair hearing either to people like uh, Mr. Huckabee or others when they express their considered views on the matter. You know, the, the news media, you were asking earlier, why are they so interested in it? I think Darwinism, for many of them, functions as their secular equivalent of a creation story. But sort of how you could get all the wonderful complexity and intricacies we see through a mindless process of matter and energy, uh, and that sort of makes uh, provides a basis for their worldview. You know, I think what they try to do is present people who believe in creation or intelligent design as unscientific. But uh, those of us who have worried about the teaching of evolution have thought our children are going to lose any uh, feeling of dignity or value or the fact that they're made in the image of God if they're just blasted constantly with this whole uh, Darwinian theory of evolution. Is that what has happened in the culture? Well, yeah, that's a really good question, and my book is largely about that. Ideas do have consequences, and, and so the Darwinian view does have consequences, and it had consequences for Darwin himself. I mean, he talked in his own notebooks about the delusion of free will. Uh, he talked in his book, The Descent of Man, about how we were ruining the human race by counteracting the law of natural selection, by inoculating people against smallpox, helping the poor, uh, helping the mentally ill, and uh, having hospitals help the sick. And so... You know, it really does have an impact on human dignity. And in fact, if you look at some of the main purveyors of what might be called the culture of death or, or things today, like Peter Singer, a bioethicist at Princeton, uh, who argues that human newborns are less important than pigs or chimpanzees, and where did he get this from? He himself says that his worldview is based on, on Darwin's view that really made the fact that human beings aren't uh, any really more different uh, or special in compared to the other animals. And, uh, or you, an evolutionary biologist at University of Texas, Eric Pianca, who th- wants to reduce the human population by up to 90% and advocates sterilizing everyone uh, because he thinks that humans are really a blight on nature. Amazing. Our guest is John West. He's senior fellow at the Discovery Institute. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Dr. West, uh, I want to follow up on that idea there. Um, we look back and we see uh, Darwin's dangerous idea, as some have referred to it. And But I want to look forward for a minute and talk about the, you mentioned eugenics. You've got a guy like Julian Salviescu at Oxford University who says, look, um, it's time now to take control of human evolution. And uh, we're in, we're in we're, for the first time, human beings can accelerate evolution. And he is proposing through genetic engineering that um, we get the eyesight of an eagle, the uh, ears of a bat, the, le- <laughs> the mm-hmm. speed of a uh, – this is really uh, the brave new world. And uh, talk about uh, what difference uh, Darwinian godless evolution is going to make for the way forward. What are we going to see in the name of? Uh, Darwinian evolution proposed. Well, I think you've, you've really hit the nail on the head. And let me just mention the past for a moment as a way of understanding the future. We've been here before. 
where for four decades, really, the leading scientists uh, claimed that through modern science and use of breeding techniques based on Darwin that we could breed sort of a master race. That went way beyond the science and was really presumptuous in, in sort of placing human beings in the position of God. And that only really fell apart because of the horrors of Nazism that people were so revolted by. Now it's 50, 60, 70 you know, years after the Nazis, and so uh, people have forgotten that, and we're having people revisit this, mm-hmm. and we're having this, this new wave. And, but it's you know, r- r- startlingly similar. It goes way beyond the scientific evidence, for one thing. Uh, you know, we do know genetic components of some things, but many of these genetic relationships are actually correlations, which means that lots of people don't actually develop the conditions or aren't, you know, there's so much we don't understand. And, in fact, if you look at breeding techniques among animals and plants, you soon realize what a lousy idea it is to apply to human beings because uh, things when are bred for one particular thing, uh, they may, other things may fall apart. I mean, for example, my one of my sisters uh, owns a purebred uh, or a very well-bred German Shepherd who has all sorts of genetic conditions because that that German Shepherd was so inbred for certain purposes that then became susceptible to lots of other things. We don't really have a good track record trying to play God, and uh, but the Darwinism sort of fuels that because it thinks, well, certainly now that we understand how this works, you know, we can just apply our knowledge and we could do even better than. Uh, what has happened in the past. So it fuels a sort of a real arrogance. Uh, Dr. West, do you believe that um, the basis for Darwinian evolution is crumbling, is cracking? Do you think we're making inroads into education, um, into entertainment? Uh, do you see any cracks out there? Are you hopeful that uh, we're breaking the, this uh, ideological stronghold? You know, I am hopeful because uh, the harder they scream, I think that is actually an indication of just how weak it is. If you have evidence, you refute something with evidence. If you don't, you start That's to good. attack people's motives and demonize. And so, and you know, you and so the harder, the more they cry, the more they scream. I think that's actually a good ind- indicator of just how weak it is. And and in some of their own scientific meetings last year, the New York Times carried a really revealing article about a science conference in California where leading scientists and evolutionists and biologists met. And one of the key things that they were talking about is how the theory of evolution by natural selection, Darwinian evolution, was losing out not in the public arena, but in the intellectual marketplace. Let and me ask you... one of the things that they were preoccupied with among themselves. And so I think even, you know, despite their public rhetoric, even among, you know, their private conversations, they recognize just how weak this is. Let me ask you this question. We're looking at a news story today from the Dallas Morning News. Texas biology professors stress evolution. Uh, biology profs um, wrote a letter to the state education commissioner saying that uh, Texas Education Agency employees should not be neutral on the subject. And you've got 100 faculty members from Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, Texas State, North Texas, Houston Rice, and Baylor, that good old Baptist institution, basically saying that uh, all teachers need to be pro-evolution. What do you make of this kind of groupthink directive? Well, there again, if if people don't feel threatened that their that their worldview is falling apart, they don't do things like that. So um, they're trying. You're right. They're trying to impose an ideological litmus test on on everyone. And this is the interesting thing about the 
scientists who believe in intelligent design. We often hear, oh, there are no scientists who believe this. <laughs> Yet then we go to places like Iowa State University, where, in fact, they had a very gifted astronomer uh, who they deny tenure to because he supports intelligent design. Or University of Idaho, where they have a tenured microbiologist, who Scott Minnick, who uh, espouses intelligent design, the president of that institution issued an edict saying, you will not discuss any views other than Darwinian evolution in so much classes. for wow. academic freedom. Dr. Yeah. John West, Darwin Day in America is the book, How Our Politics and Culture Have Been Dehumanized in the Name of Science. Dr. West, uh, we hope to have you back sometime. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. When we come back, the Grinch Award. The Grinch Award. It's not a local business. We're treading new territory here. You don't want to miss it. And... Reasons for the Incarnation. Why did God become a man? That's what we need to think about. It's Christmas. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're a rotter, Mr. Grinch. You're the king of sinful sots. You're a heart so dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots, Mr. Grinch. You're a three-decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich with arsenic sauce. Okay, the Grinch, the Grinch Award. Um, listen, we've been featuring this just about every night, and um, you know we've been giving this out to local businesses and national businesses that uh, really have some kind of a gag order on Christianity, Christmas, Jesus. And uh, But tonight, pin us something different. Tell us about it. Who is the winner of the Grinch Award? Uh, there are nine winners, and they are nine <laughs> members of the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C., and here's why. Because uh, yesterday, the House of Representatives actually passed a bill, and uh, it was a very interesting reaction to these Christmas wars and the whole idea that you can't say Merry Christmas, you have to say Happy Holidays. But the resolution recognizes the importance of Christmas and the Christian faith, and it passed by a vote of 200, 372 to nine. It was introduced by Representative Steve King, and uh, he's pretty upset at these nine Democrats who voted against it. Uh, they are, and I'll list them, uh, Representative Ackerman of New York, Clark of New York, uh, Diana DeGette of Colorado, Alcee uh, Hastings of Florida, Representative Lee of California, McDermott of Washington, Scott of Virginia, Representative uh, uh, Pete Stark of California, Lynn Woolsey of California, and uh, they all voted against this, uh, even though most of them voted for an earlier resolution in October uh, that really uh, acknowledged Ramadan and praised Islam. 
Well, let's be clear about that, because our own beloved Congressman, Eddie Bernice Johnson, sponsored a similar motion on Ramadan, the Muslim holiday, and here it was, uh, recognizing the commencement of Ramadan, the Islamic holy month of fasting and spiritual noon, commending Muslims in the United States, blah, blah, blah. And this motion, the Ramadan motion, passed unanimously, 376 to 0. There was a Hindu motion as well. It passed 358 to 0. But the Christian, the Christmas resolution, (laughs) 372 to 9. And there are some congressmen like Dan DeGette, you mentioned from Colorado. She voted yes on the Muslim motion. And no on the Christian. And no on the Christian. Elsie Hastings voted the same way. Yes on affirming Islam and Ramadan. No on Christmas. And so if these people were going to say, look, we're doing this in the name of separation of church and state or religious liberty, and we just don't think we should be endorsing holy days or high days, well, they've got a double standard because they're endorsing uh, Hindu and Muslim so-called holy days. And by the way, I disagree with those two other resolutions. Islam is not a great religion. It's a false religion. Muhammad is a false prophet. The Quran is a false book. And Ramadan is a phony day. It's not a holy day. And So I just don't get it where these people, uh, in the name of political correctness, are going to affirm these uh, false pagan holidays and then not be willing to, you know, Christmas is a federal holiday. It's a federal holiday. And most people in America are Christians and do celebrate Christmas. Wow. Well, it's fascinating. Uh, We're going to be following another story here, Penna, moving on from the Grinch Awards. And uh, here's a disappointment we have, again, with the Baptist General Convention of Texas Mm -hmm. and one of their churches. This is sad. Yes. uh, This is from the Dallas Morning News, the Fort Worth Church, Broadway Baptist Church, coming out with their church directory. And um, there are homosexual members in this church. That's been known for quite some time, according to the interviews in the newspaper. You can read the article for yourself, folks. And the controversy is whether or not these homosexual so-called couples will have their pictures together as families in the church directory, the Broadway Baptist Church. Now, of course, Cecil Sherman, who led the liberal movement in the Southern Baptist Convention, used to pastor there. Stephen Shoemakers, whose church was just voted out over in the Carolinas from that convention, was the previous pastor. We have tried to contact the current pastor, the former pastors, the Baptist General Convention of Texas leadership, the Baptist General Convention of Texas president. None of them are willing to speak on this. And uh, they are embarrassed that this came up, obviously. But um, they've quietly agreed that uh, these open and out homosexuals can be members of this church, and uh, they've not done anything to discipline them, um, to restore some kind of biblical order in the church, and now they're having to debate whether or not these couples go into the church directory. And so, folks, so that's the difference between what we say liberals and conservatives. That's the difference between the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, a conservative Bible-believing convention, and the Baptist General Convention of Texas, which is uh, really pretty much, for the most part, gone uh, the way of the liberals and the other mainline denominations. There are some exceptions in that denomination, but uh, certainly the hierarchy moving to the left very fast. 
Well, we want to end on a positive note. This show is about the Christian worldview, and I want to talk about some theology for a couple of minutes here, because when Christmas is here, your preacher's probably going to preach on no room in the inn. That's what he preached on last year, maybe, or the year before. And I think we need to think doctrinally and theologically about incarnation at Christmas time. And I want to talk about some of the reasons for the incarnation. And one tonight that I just want to lay on you, you may not have thought of it this way, to confirm God's promise. That is one of the reasons that God became a man in Jesus Christ, the incarnation was to confirm and to fulfill what was promised in the Old Testament. Now, I want to read a passage from Romans 15. I want you to listen carefully. It says this, Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. One of the reasons Jesus Christ became a man, the Son of God became a man, Jesus the Christ, was to confirm the promises to the fathers. And it says that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again it is written, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. Uh, That coming from Deuteronomy 32. And so there were certain Bible prophecies in the Old Testament that... um, There would be a Messiah for Israel and a glory for the Gentiles. He is the desire of all nations. And let me just say, these promises go way back because in Genesis 3.15, God promised that he would put enmity between, between the woman and the serpent, between the serpent's seed and the seed of the woman and that it would bruise the serpent's head, thou shalt bruise his heel. Of course, the serpent bruised the seed of the woman, Jesus, on the cross, but Jesus crushed the head of Satan, the serpent, on that cross. That was a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. God becoming a man, dying for our sins on the cross, being raised from the dead, crushing Satan, getting power over sin, over death, over the devil. Tomorrow, Jerry Jenkins. Don't miss it. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m., for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.